Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 173 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's mom. Today, I have the pleasure to introduce you to Jim, Caitlin's dad. Jim lost Caitlin when she was 16 years old, six years ago now, when she collapsed while playing tennis. Jim now really dedicates a portion of his life to helping grieving parents in those first days, weeks, and months after their child dies. So I just know you will really appreciate all that he has to say. I also wanted to take a minute here to announce the next live stream that Gwen and I will be doing. I looked at the calendar and noticed that Thursday, February 2nd, is a release day and also Groundhog Day. And if you remember the movie Groundhog Day, every day is just the same as the one previous to it. And I feel like that's what our grief journey feels like a little bit. It feels like day to day, nothing changes and our grief just keeps going on and on. But really it does change. Bit by bit, it does change. And that's what Gwen and I want to talk about on the live stream, which will actually take place two days ahead on January 31st at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. I know in the past, I've always done a Christmas episode where we do some little messages of hope, where people send in those messages. And I didn't do that this year, and I'm a little disappointed in myself for that. I think this episode would be a perfect time to share those stories of hope, just to let people know that things do change and do get better. And we can get little messages from heaven, from our loved ones, encouraging us to go on, or messages from God. It's hard to know how to describe them exactly. So please email those messages to me at marcy at andysmom.com or come on the live stream and share the stories then yourself. I just know they'll be so valuable. So right now, I want you to sit back and enjoy listening to Jim, Caitlin's dad. Thank you so much, Jim, for coming on the Always Andy's Mom podcast today. I'm really looking forward to talking to you. Oh, well, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Oh, I am absolutely thrilled. Yeah. So why don't you start out by just telling us a little bit about your daughter, Caitlin? Okay. Well, Caitlin was born on March the 3rd of the year 2000, and um, she was born actually one day before her mom's birthday, because her mom's birthday is March the 4th, so her mom always complained about that because she was like, well, now she'll get more attention than my birthday would. (laughs) Yeah, my oldest um, was born on my husband's birthday, so we totally uh, have that too. (laughs) But anyway, she was always a child, I think, that when we would take her to daycare, her her 
babysitter always called her an old soul. Like she like would talk in ways that most normal young children don't talk like that. I mean, she would express these great ideas and everything and, and have these great insights that, I mean, I wouldn't expect a child that young to have. Uh-huh. But as she grew up, she was always like very friendly. That was her mm-hmm. thing was to be kind to other people. That was her yeah. whole message to everyone. Um, and I guess, you know, really showed when she was in high school, well, probably in, in middle school and high school was when it really came out because she was, she real she played in the band, she played the clarinet in the band and when she was in middle school and she won all these awards for playing the clarinet and wow. And then she got interested in tennis. So she started playing tennis and she got really good at tennis and she made her high school tennis team. That's kind of where the um, the story starts with her as far as she that's what happened to her was that while she was playing tennis one day, she was practicing for tennis and mm-hmm. she collapsed on the court while she was playing tennis. Wow. And cause how old was she at that time? 16, 16. Yeah. Okay. So we had never known how that she had any medical issues or anything right. like that. She had been to the doctor before and gotten, you know, her physical for, yeah for tennis or to play tennis on her high school team but when they do a physical you know they don't check your heart they don't do you know any i mean they listen to your heart but they right. don't do like an ekg or a, you know a chest x-ray or anything like that right um so we kn- didn't know anything was wrong with her so one day i um i came home from work and usually what would happen would be I would take her to tennis practice after I would get home before my wife. So I would take her to tennis practice and she was 16 at the time. So she was learning to drive. So she always wanted to drive. So sure. I would let her drive to tennis practice and then drive home. And um, so when I got home, she was like sleeping and that's not normal because she would go to school really early in the morning. She'd come home, do her homework and then get ready for for tennis practice so she was like um so i woke her up when i got home and i'm like you want to go to tennis and she was like yeah i'm a little sleepy but yeah i want to go yeah okay so i take her to tennis and usually what would happen would be when i would take her to tennis i would um, exercise so i would like jog around the neighborhood while she was at tennis and then we would meet up afterwards and then she would drive home. So I was out jogging and I had my phone. I was listening to music and my wife calls me and says, you got to get back to the tennis court. Something happened to Caitlin. And I'm like, what? I just left her a few minutes ago. She was fine. She's like, no, they said that she collapsed on the court and something's happening. So you need to get back there. So I ran as fast as I could back there. And when I got there, the paramedics were already there and we're working on her she wasn't breathing her heart had stopped oh my and Lord. you just i'm standing there watching in disbelief like they're asking me these questions i don't know 
her, yeah. did she have any pro heart problems? No, she was a healthy young lady. She had just, like the week before, she had just played in a, like a two-hour match that, you know, yeah. a, a match that she had no problems whatsoever. So, and this, she was just warming up. So, um, and she just collapsed. So they took her obviously in the ambulance to the hospital. And um, so I'm like, thinking to myself, I'm driving to the hospital. My wife is coming from her work. Um, she lives, she works about 30 minutes away from where the hospital was. Um, so I'm driving to the hospital. I'm thinking to myself the whole time I'm praying that, oh God, yeah. this, this can't be happening. You know, yeah. she's going to be okay. Like when I get there, she's going to be sitting up and, you know, this is all a big yeah. mistake. Right. You know? Those paramedics didn't know what they were doing or whatever, right? right? Uh -huh. So, so we got there, um, and I met my wife there, and we're sitting in the the ER and waiting and to hear something. And the 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 doctor comes out, or one of the nurses comes out, and says, "All right, you can come back now." So we went back into the room, and they're like, "We've been working on her for almost an hour now," and we can't get her heart to start or anything. Oh. And she was just laying there and they said, we'll try one more time. And they had, you know, the paddles there. And so they tried to shock her there right in front of us and, and they, nothing, you know, <laughs> so they're like, well, that's it. You know, she, we're going to have to call it now. And we're like, it's just standing there in disbelief, like, what just happened? I, right. Right. I mean, she was perfectly healthy when she left for school, <laughs> perfectly healthy when I dropped her off for tennis. Just a um, little tired. That's all right. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, what happened between now and then? And, and, and so we're just standing there in disbelief and it's yeah. like, what, what do we do now? <laughs> yeah. What is the protocol for this? Cause everyone just, rushed out of the room and lift, left us standing there. And we're like, what do we do? What, right. what is on? So right. one of the nurses came over to us and she was very kind. And she said to us, would you like some of her hair, like a lock of her hair? And I never even thought of why would we want a lock of her hair? But they, she said, would you like that? Because I guess, you know, as a, like a memento of her or yeah. whatever. And so we said, sure. So they cut off her hair. And <laughs> so we, and I mean, we still have that today, actually. But you just, and then they were like, well, do you want a handprint? Do you want like, and we're like, what? <laughs> and we're yeah. trying to process all of this. Like, what, what are you talking about? So then the, the nurse said, well, you can stay as long as you want. Uh -huh. You just let us know when you want to leave. And um, we'll call the ME's office and they'll come and pick up her body. And we're like, what? You know, like, what's going on here? And yeah. so it just wasn't sinking in. And so we sat there and, you know, held her hand and just crying and, you know, not knowing what to do. And then the police showed up. Right. <laughs> so we're like, why are the police here? We didn't do anything wrong. What, why are, you know, yeah. what's going on here? But I guess that's procedure because since she died under, you know, 
not at home or not in a hospital. They have to investigate, you know, what happened to her, why she would die or whatever. And I'm saying to the officer, do you really think that we killed our child or something? I mean, I don't understand this. Yeah. And it's like, no, this is just procedure we have to go through. Um, and they even posted like a, a officer outside the door to the, 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 um, the emergency room where we were in the little section we were in, they posted an officer out there and he had to sign in everyone that came in to see us and everyone that left. And it felt like we were under investigation or something. Yeah. And, um, and that actually made it harder <laughs> in, in some ways because oh, sure. I thought they're accusing me of doing something to this wonderful person that I love. And I can't, I can't fathom this. So anyway, um, so our, our priest came and he sat with us for a while. And then all these people started showing up at the hospital, like some of her friends and, and her, and, you know, my parents were there, Kim's parents, my wife's parents, well, her mom was there and we had called my son and he and his wife well his girlfriend at the time now his wife came over um because mm -hmm. he was in college and in orlando so that's about an hour and a half from us so he drove over and um all these people and, and i had to go into the room and tell all these people that she's died and they were like what you know i'm like yeah she died if any of you want to come in and sit with us you're welcome to um, so one at a time, some of them would come in and sit with us or whatever, but it was just, and then we didn't know, like, how long do we stay here? What, yeah. you know, what, what, like, do we, what's the protocol for this? I mean, right. whatever is going to happen, we're not going to be able to take her with us when we leave. I mean, this is it. We're, and, um, I just remember, so finally we said, I don't even remember how long we were there for, but finally we said, um, I said to my wife, well, we, we, I guess we should go. And she's like, yeah, I guess so. And so we just left and it was, it was just so surreal. The whole thing. Yeah. I didn't... Yeah. It just doesn't seem real. None of yeah. it seems yeah. real. Uh... It's like a fog, you're in a fog or something. You don't know what's going on. Well, because on. you can't wrap your head around what's happened. It just, right. it, it, it's hard right. to explain to people how it just doesn't seem real, like right. the whole thing. And your mind, at least my mind, was constantly saying, this is not happening. This is right. not really happening. But right. even though it clearly was happening, I just, right. there, it just didn't compute that it could possibly happen, right? right? That like right. one second you could be totally fine and having a conversation mm -hmm. and then the next second, just gone. Right. It's it's just impossible to wrap your head around it until you experience something like that. Exactly. And then the next day, like having to call into her school and tell him, well, Caitlin won't be coming to school today. Well, she won't be coming to school ever again. You know, I mean, yeah. So you had to call the school. Well, my wife called the school and then I had a call and I'm like, I'm to the funeral home to see if we, you know, to get the funeral home and then I called the church to arrange a time to meet with the lady to do the service at the 
church for her. And um, I don't know, it was just so strange. <laughs> I don't, and, and then you're walking around and you see like people like laughing and enjoying and going about mm -hmm. their day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like my daughter just died. How, how can you be happy? I know. You know how, how can the world keep going? Yeah, exactly. And uh -huh. it's, it's supposed to stop now, I think, or something. Someone, um, but anyway, so you know, we got through that, and um, and then to show you what kind of person that she was, um, well, I, I, I don't know, I probably need to back up a little bit too, <laughs> is to tell you, um, when Caitlin was alive, when when I was going through. In my life, I had been in and out of depression and suffered for, with depression pretty much a large percentage of my life, on and off medications and in and out of therapy and, mm -hmm. and all of these things. And Caitlin was the one for me who brought me out of that. She knew, like when I was at a low point, she knew how to get in there and to brighten brighten my day. I mean, she was, she was everything that I had. And now all of a sudden she was gone. And I'm yeah. like, I'm like, Oh no, you know, this is going to be the worst depression that I've ever suffered. Yeah. Somehow we made it. I don't remember much of the, the funeral or right. the, the, I, I, I mean, I remember like the few days after, um, I guess she died on a Tuesday and the church or the school called us on like a Wednesday and they were like, the kids here want to have a memorial service for her at the school. Would you all come to the memorial service? We want to do it on Friday after school. So we were like, yeah, sure. We'll come, you know, mm -hmm. and for some reason, I mean, it was like, I don't know. We found some sort of strength to get through the, the funeral and to get even the viewing. Like I remember all these people at the viewing, we had it at our church and people were lined up outside the door, just waiting to get in to just stay yeah. their um, respects. And every one of her teachers she had in school came to that. Yeah. to tell us how much they enjoyed her as a student. And I mean, that I'm like, how many, how many people would you think all their teachers they ever had would come and say, yeah. you know, come to their, your daughter's funeral. I don't know. That, to me, that said a lot about who she was, but. And did that give you a little bit of strength? It did. I mean, it was like yeah. bittersweet type of thing, yeah. you know, I mean, it was sad that she's gone, but it was, you felt a sense of pride that this, this child meant so much to all of these mm -hmm. people that were coming to, to see her. Yeah. I know at that line, we had a long line like that too. And I felt like every, I mean, I had so many hugs, so many hugs. Yeah. Um, but I, in a little bit of a way, I felt like I got just the tiniest bit of strength Mm -hmm. Every time somebody gave me one of those hugs, like right. it could get me through another couple of minutes, right? Mm -hmm. It was just, it, it, it wasn't making me better 
so to speak, but it was giving me a little bit of strength to go another two, three minutes, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what I needed from people was just that little bit of, you know, comfort. Like, we're all here for you. We all loved him, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they had a, a memorial service for her at her school. And so we went to that and they had it out on the football field. And it was like, we live in Florida and it was like 90 something degrees that day. And she had a thing when she was going to school that she did this thing called flannel Friday, where every Friday they would wear flannel to school. I don't know why she came up with that. but So she came up with this idea? She came up with this idea. Okay. So all of these kids in 90 degree weather were lined up around this football field wearing flannel in her honor for flannel Friday because it was a Friday and they all passed around a microphone and said you know what she had meant to her and everything else on this football field and I was like I'm like all of these people how did she know all of these people and that all make such a difference in all of these people's lives that they'd want to be standing here 90 degree heat wearing flannel <laughs> Yeah. Friday saying how much she meant to them. I mean, it was, it was just, I, I don't know. It was, it's beautiful. Yeah. Overwhelming. It was, yeah, it was overwhelming. So anyway, then somehow we got through the, I, I mean, I wrote her obituary to, I mean, her obituary, yes. And her um, eulogy. Mm-hmm. I've like listened to the podcast and listened to so many people have, you know, on that have said that, you know, that they were able to give their, give the eulogy at their, yeah their child's passing. But mm -hmm. I, I wrote it, but I couldn't, I couldn't, I didn't have the strength to read it. And I, I was really felt badly about that later on, but I just gave it to the priest and he read it. That's beautiful. And he did it. But I, I mean, I wanted to do it so badly, but that day I just, I didn't have the strength to, to do it. Mm -hmm. I was like too, I couldn't have gotten through it. <laughs> I mean, it's really hard to know what to do, right? I mean, right. So I think anyway. you did a nice in between, honestly. Right. By, by writing something and having somebody else read it. Someone else had to read it because I wouldn't, I couldn't do it. So, so anyway, after all of that happened um, and we got through all of that and everything, then it really hit me and I really went into a tailspin with the depression and everything and became really suicidal. And um, my wife was really worried about me and she, she was like, you know, we have, we have a son that you need to be here for. She says, I'm worried that I'm going to go out and I'm going to come back and you're going to have done something to yourself. And then I'm going to be without a husband and a child. And I, I didn't know what to do. And I, she's like, you have to do something. I mean, I can't, yeah. I can't live like this. So she called a therapist for me. Mm -hmm. I couldn't myself so even the day that i was supposed to go to the therapist i was like i don't know if i can do this yeah i don't want to do this but somehow she drove me there and 
And I went and so the therapist and I got talking and she's like, you need to get on medication. You need to do, you can't be like this or I'm going to have to put you in the hospital or, and we argued about, cause I didn't want to go to the hospital. So we started trying different medicines for me and, um, it was a long, it was a hard road. I mean, it was, yeah, it was not good. And so finally we did find a medicine that kind of worked for me because up until then, I mean, you, nothing that she could tell me, all I wanted was my daughter back and yeah. I just wanted to be with her. And the only way I knew to be with her was if I were dead <laughs> and that's not a good spot to be in. No. And, um, but it's funny because all of us as bereaved parents are going to say, yep, I understand because you do understand and, and, and kind of, you know, these thoughts go through your mind. You know, I, I remember going through my mind, like, well, Eric and I always kind of split up the parenting, you know, we would, we had three, well, four kids after Valeriano entered our life and, and we would kind of divide and conquer and you'd, a little bit of your head would be like, well, we'd just kind of be dividing and conquering then. I would be with Andy and he'd be with the other one. <laughs> mm -hmm. So this logic in your head starts being like mm -hmm. not logical, right? That's right. not logical. Andy doesn't right. need anyone to take care of him in heaven. But yeah. in your head for a little bit, you're like, oh, no, I think that sort of makes sense. That's not that that odd to think that. And then you realize, oh, no, that, that isn't good thinking. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I... And I was, I think I was worried about her too, as a yeah. parent, even though, you know, she's in a better place. It's like, you still worry about it. Right? You're like, what's going on? I, I don't know what's happening to her and I'm her parent. I'm supposed to be taking care of her. I want, I love this person so much. I can't, what if, what if she's suffering? What if, you know, and all these things go through your mind, even though, you know, that she's in a better place. She's in a better place than we are, but I just couldn't, you know. But yet you don't know what it's like, right? Nobody mm -hmm. knows. So since you don't know for sure, there are always these little doubts in your head, like, well, maybe not. Maybe right. she needs her dad or maybe he needs her, right. his mom or whatever, right. which and is I not logical, mom. but. That's why, I mean, I tell people like parents now that, you know, everyone's scared to take medication or anyone anything like that and i'm like sometimes you just have to yeah <laughs> i mean sometimes you know just to take the edge off of the pain that you're experiencing just so you can get into a better headspace to be able to cope with the grief and to start healing because as long as i was in that headspace there was no way i was gonna heal and if anything you know, I was going to make matters worse for my wife and my son, who are, mm -hmm. both of them I love just as much as Caitlin. Yeah. You know, I see, I put kids on antidepressants all the time. And, and I usually say, you know, your anxiety or depression level is up here. And we need to get it all the way down here. And you're mm -hmm. trying to do some therapy, but we, you can't really. I mean, you're mm -hmm. you're mind your brain is not in a place where that can even start to work for you so if we can get you to here you know so then I just move my hand like halfway down then I feel like you will be in a place 
that the therapy and all of that can maybe get you down mm-hmm. all the way where you need to go. But mm-hmm. until we get you partway and change your baseline level a little bit, that other stuff isn't going to work for you. Now, that does not mean everybody needs to go on medication right. for sure. Right. It just depends on kind of where things are for you. Right. And I personally had to go on some medication too because my anxiety after after the car accident, you know, there was a good amount of PTSD. And and the anxiety was just so, so, so high. I couldn't function right. because I just was so anxious all the time. And so no amount of therapy was going to be able to be okay at that point until I got, you know, my brain chemistry kind of in a way that maybe could accept it a little bit better, could work a little better. Mm -hmm. Right. And certainly I stopped medication long before I stopped therapy. I mean, I'm still in therapy Mm -hmm. and I'm not on medication anymore, but it got to the point where now I think that therapy can work Without the extra, but so often you kind of need both, you know, maybe forever, maybe just for a little while. It's hard to know. Right. Mm -hmm. So I got to the point in therapy where I said to myself that this, I could be miserable for the rest of my life and no one would blame me for that because I've just experienced the worst thing that could ever happen to a parent and no one would blame me for being miserable the rest of my life, Mm -hmm. but that's not going to bring Caitlin back. Right. And I could be, try to be happy and try to be a better person. And that's not going to be able to bring Caitlin back either. But at the same time, I think that I'm going to, by honoring her life and trying to be the best person that I could be, you know, that maybe that would make me feel better. Yeah. And I said that to myself, you know, if the roles were reversed and I was the one that had gone on and Caitlin was left behind and Caitlin was as miserable as I was and was suicidal. And that would break my heart looking down at her and seeing her that way. And Mm -hmm. that is what I wanted for her. And I'm like, if I would feel that way, how do you think she's feeling right now seeing you like that? Yeah. And I said, no, I I can't do that. So I said from that day on, I was going to do everything in my power to be the best version of myself that I could be to honor her legacy. And that was, that was going to be my healing. And that was going to be my gift to her that the 16 years that she was on this earth, that she meant so much to me. And I was going to carry on her legacy being that she couldn't do it physically. I was going to do what she was doing before. So I was going to be kind to people I was going to find ways to be you know more even more compassionate than I was I read books on grief to try to get better I did meditations I would exercise I would do everything in my power to try to feel better and to you know try to get better for her and Mm -hmm. and that was kind of my motivating thing that led me on my journey for healing so but you really have to get there on your own i love how you describe that about how you came to that realization because people from the outside can tell you that you know Mm -hmm. 
I remember hearing that. Andy wouldn't want you to be sad. Andy wouldn't want you to whatever, whatever. Like, don't tell me what Andy would would or wouldn't want. So when other people say that to you, I don't think it's that helpful because all it does is now make you feel guilty that you're not feeling that way. But the moment you can come to that conclusion on your own, Mm -hmm. that's a moment. Right. That's a moment. So I'm glad that you came to that, came around to that yourself. Because right. now you can look at all of those different strategies, those different things you can do to help make yourself a little bit better, a better person. Right. right. Mm-hmm. And that's, so that was kind of what I started out doing. So I started going to a, um, our hospice, they have group for, for parents who have lost children. Uh-huh specifically for that. And I had gone to other grief groups to try to, you know, get better or whatever. And, and none of them really were addressing child loss. Yeah. When someone loses, you know, a spouse or something that's different from losing a child, even though they're, I don't know, it just wasn't resonating. I'm with you. It's so, so hard to relate. And I do think it's super key if you can try to find a grief group that focuses on child loss. It's just so different because I I did some at my church. I tried to do grief share at my church and Mm -hmm. it was quite a large group, probably more than 12, between 12 and 15 people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, most of them were widows who lost a spouse The one guy that really sticks in my mind was this guy that was probably between 65 and 70, and he lost his mother who was in her 90s, and and he was quite vocal, and I don't, I mean, his grief so valid, right? I mean, I lost my mother when I was 21, and she was 42, and so it's not like his grief was invalid. He missed his mom, but I just found myself like, really? Really? You're here? Like... Because, I mean, for me, it's every second of my life, I was living with this huge hole in me, you know? Right. For him, he'd been out of the house for 50 years. I know it was really painful. I totally get that. But I just don't think it affected every second of his life like that. I mean... Mm -hmm. Andy was part of me. It's just, it's so different that it's hard to relate. And when you can be with a group of people who have the same loss now, and that too, I could be with a woman in their 60s who lost their child at 40. And I still, I have a lot more that I can relate to her, right? A lot more. Right. Um, even though Andy was 14 and her son may have been 40, I, it's still, that's like a part of you missing. Right. Yeah. So I found this grief group through hospice. And so I started going there. So I still go there, but now it's more for helping the other parents than it is for me because it's been six years since she's passed. And so a lot has happened in that time. I, I mean, that doesn't mean I still don't miss her, but the waves of grief or the the pain of grief that I had at the beginning is a lot less than it, it was 
at the beginning. It's a lot less now than it was at the beginning. Mm -hmm. That's when I feel closest to Caitlin, I guess. I don't know how people feel about like different things that happen, but I think that our loved ones are still with us. And I think they still play vital roles in our lives. And I feel closest to Caitlin. I mean, I can feel her presence within me when I'm able to help other people and I'm doing things for other people. I feel like this tingling inside my body, like that she's really there, that she's, you know, cheering me on and helping me on and saying, yeah, you're doing the right thing here. Yeah. Yeah, I feel her presence. Um, when I'm doing those things. And I think that there are signs that our loved ones um, send us to show that we're on the right track or whatever. I can give you kind of some examples of what I'm talking about. It's sure. like right after, well, before she passed, she was um, in the Catholic church, you make your confirmation usually when you're 15 or 16. Okay. And one of the things you do as part of that is research and do a report on one of the saints. And one of the saints that she chose was St. Teresa of the Little Flower. The big thing about St. Teresa of the Little Flower was she believed that in little acts of kindness are what really make the most for people in life. It, it isn't the big things we do, but it's the little acts of kindness that we do that really are the most important thing. Mm -hmm. And that was what Caitlin was all about, the little acts of kindness. And um, so that's why she loved St. Teresa. She was a big proponent of that. And the night that we came home from the, the viewing, when we got home, right in front of the door, there was a huge bouquet of flowers of red roses oh. who St. Teresa of the Little Flower always said, when I, went to, when I go to heaven, I will shower you with roses. And right in front of the door was a big thing of roses when we got home from the viewing. So I really believe that, you know, she had something to do with that. Yeah. I mean, you can't say that. You could say that's just a coincidence or whatever, but I like to say that it's a sign that, you know, she's looking out for us, that she's still there doing things. Another example was, and this one's funnier, but um, <laughs> she used to call, we would go out to eat at um, Olive Garden and she, she would go out a lot of times with her grandmother or whatever to Olive Garden. And she calls it the old people's place, the old people's restaurant. <laughs> okay. So she would, so she always made fun of the Olive Garden being the old people's restaurant. Uh -huh. So the day um, after she passed, people were bringing food over to the house and everything. And someone brought this huge thing of Olive Garden. So we were like, <laughs> Well, that's Caitlin. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's really funny that you say that because my in-laws love going to the Olive Garden. So they come and visit us and like, let's go to the Olive Garden. So we, we go because the reason I like it, they have a cheaper menu, lunch menu. I don't know. It's like everything's $7.99 or something. If you get it off that menu, 
So you have to always get something off that menu. But then they will they eat half, and then the next day they can have the other half. You can eat right. such so, such a good value. My father in law always talks about just such a good value at Olive Garden. Like okay. <laughs> and then an, another example of that was after she passed, the uh, there was one of her friends, one of her really good friends, their parents approached us and said, we really want to do something in Caitlin's honor. Mm -hmm. And we would like to start a scholarship at her school for, for people in, in her name. And they call it the Katie Silverwood um, Big Red Heart Award. That's okay. what they call it. Oh. That's the name. Because basically what happened to her was what the ME told us was she had an enlarged heart and that's why she passed. Okay. I don't know that much about medical terminology, but that's yeah. what she, that's the only thing that they found that was wrong with her was that she had an enlarged heart. Yeah. It's probably dilated cardiomyopathy. It's probably. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, so they started this scholarship for her. So, Every year they send us the applications and my wife and I go through them and we look and we're supposed to pick out the one that most exemplifies what Katie was like, what Caitlin was like, based on like their, not so much their grades, but like what type of activities they're involved in and things like that, what, how they um, best exemplify kindness and things like that. So we go through all of them and each year um, a girl has won. And one year there was a boy that won the, the award and he wasn't there to be able to get the award that night when we presented it. And he felt so badly about it. And he called us the next day and he's like, I'm so sorry. I had to work that night. I couldn't get out of it. And I'm so sorry that I wasn't there to get the award, but I hope that I can really, you know, exemplify who she was because she was such a wonderful person and I really want to you know carry on her legacy and all of this and we're like oh great you know mm -hmm. that's why we picked you so fast forward my wife's um, mom just passed two weeks ago and she was at an assisted living facility and one of the um, the nurses aides there um, um, my wife was talking to her and she had said that she went to the same high school that uh, she asked her what high school she went to. And it turned out she went to the same high school Caitlin went to. And she goes, but you wouldn't know Caitlin because you were after she had already passed or whatever. And the girl said, oh, I know who she was. And she goes, really? And she goes, yeah, she played tennis. And, and he said, oh, really? How'd you know? And she said, well, because my brother was the one that got the award, her award, and he, she said, and at the time, my mom had passed, and my dad was trying to take care of three kids. My brother really wanted to go to college, and he wouldn't have been able to go to college unless he got that scholarship. Oh, that's just amazing. And you didn't know all of that? No, we didn't know any of that. And so, you know, it just sends chills up my spine now, even to think about it. And so that's why I know that Caitlin was made us pick that particular yeah. person. She knew that he was the one that needed to, you know, 
that needed that. Yeah. Fellowship. Yeah. So it's just like all those things like that. I mean, people can say they're coincidences or whatever, but I really believe that I feel her presence and that she's so close to me. And whenever I can do things to help other people, I feel a sense of relief. And I feel like that she, I feel closer to her. And, um, you know, we had something just sort of funny happen in the last couple of days. And so it was, it was two days ago. I come home and, you know, there's a door that goes like to the garage from the house to mm-hmm. the garage. And I, I shut the door and occasionally it doesn't latch all the way, but it's not that common. But occasionally it, it doesn't latch all the way. And I'm in there for, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. And all of a sudden the door mm-hmm. just just swings open. And... Uh, I was like, I looked at my son, Peter, who was in the other room, and I said, that's weird. And I went and I shut the door and he said, you know, what's funny is that happened to me earlier. So I made this little joke. It was like, I said, it's your brother. He's, it's Andy's opening that door up, right? Just sort of said it as a little joke. Then the next morning, my husband sends me a text. So this is yesterday morning, sends a text and says, you know, I came downstairs and it's really weird because the door to the garage was open and the fireplace was on and we have a gas fireplace and you have to turn a switch to turn it on. He said, I don't know why. Can you ask Katie if, our, you know, our daughter, maybe she turned on the fireplace, got up in the middle of the night, turned on the fireplace for a while. The door probably just blew open, but that's weird about the fireplace. So I asked my daughter, um, and I said, were you up here last night? Did you turn on the fireplace? And she said, I've never turned on that fireplace in my life. No, I didn't turn on the fireplace. I said, mm-hmm. well, dad came down and the door was open and the fireplace was on. And she said, well, that's weird. Yesterday I was upstairs and that door just blew open on me once too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there are like four of us in the family. The door blew up and for each of us just randomly four times. Plus then the fireplace was on. And I was like, huh. I said, well, I told your dad and your brother, maybe it was Andy. I don't know. It was Andy. And I'm sort of joking about it because, like, it probably didn't latch. And maybe Peter had tried to turn on the fireplace in the middle of the afternoon and it didn't come on. And then it just randomly popped on. But, again, it's just one of those – some of those weird type of things. And you go, well, maybe. I don't know. You know, maybe. And maybe – blew the door open and thought, hey, probably should turn on the fireplace so it doesn't get all cold downstairs. So I don't know, but it's anyway, it's just, it's sort of fun to think that it could be, right? Even though it probably Mm -hmm. has a more logical explanation than that. (laughs) But I mean, I think our minds want to go there. They want to want to say that there's a logical explanation for everything, but who's to say? Yeah. We don't know. No. No, we don't know. And, and, and I've and talked about this in the about. podcast a way long time ago. You know, there the boys used to play with this Diego, this rubber ball, this Diego rubber ball. And it was up in a super high tree, way higher than you can reach for like four mm-hmm. or five years. It was stuck in this tree until the day of Andy's funeral. And then it just happened to come down. Mm-hmm. I mean, like all those years up in the tree. And of course, I still have the Diego ball. I, I washed it. It sits in the garage still. But, mm-hmm. you know, just little kind of gifts that you can get. Just, right. I don't know, maybe just reminding us they're still around. Because yeah. it's yep, a tough I, week this week mm-hmm. for me. So I needed a little bit. Mm-hmm. There's not a, 
you know, an Andy explanation is fine because I can think there was and that's okay. Right. And that sometimes is helpful to us to think that or feel that our loved ones are still there watching out for us, you know, and that's like I say, is that the best thing that I can do for her or to feel closer to her is when it, anything I can do to honor her legacy, you know, I think um, sometimes people say to me, they're like, well, you know, they're, they're scared to say anything to me, like they're scared I'm going to get upset or anything like that. And I'm like, no, I love to hear stories about Caitlin. I, you know, I, I want you to tell me stories. There's yeah. nothing you can tell me that's not going to, yeah, I might cry. I might, but it's not, it's crying because I miss her and yeah. or crying because, you know, what you said touched my heart. It isn't right. Because I'm upset with you or you bringing her up. No, it's beautiful, right? It's beautiful to hear those stories. Exactly. And I mean, we, I was with, um, we always go on her, her, what I call her angel bursary, which mm -hmm. when she passed and go out to the cemetery and bring flowers and things like that. And so I was buying the flowers, the lady at the checkout, she was like, oh, having a romantic evening this tonight or something. Cause mm -hmm. she saw me buying flour. I'm like, no, I'm buying them for my daughter's grave. <laughs> Yeah, at the daughter's grave, and she's like, <gasps> and she yeah. was like so shocked, and she starts almost crying, and I'm like, no, no, it's 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 okay. You, how were you supposed to know? You yeah. know, you yeah. didn't know. And I said, and we're doing it to honor her. You know, I I love her so much that I want to do this for her, and you know, you didn't say that you didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, right. it's, it's funny too that you know I heard you know you, you don't really have a name like when when um you know like a, a parent or like a child loses one of her parents their or their parents are called orphan you know and like um when uh you know a, a love or a wife loses a spouse they're a widow or a widower but you don't really have a word for when a parent loses a child and <laughs> the other day they just came up with a word it's like the villain villama i just Villama's. heard this too yeah villama yeah. in the last week someone has sent that to me um yeah, yeah what does villama mean it, yeah they uh, they sent me in this just telling me about the term and right. it is really beautiful uh, yeah. Let's see. I can't remember. Let me it's look and see what comes from. It means out of the natural order of things. Right. Right. That's right. That's right. That's right. So it's like this isn't supposed to happen. You're not supposed to have to bury your children. You mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. it, it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up because I just mm -hmm. literally in the last week heard that term for the first time. So yes, against the natural order. Yes. And hopefully it comes into uh, the vernacular a little bit more just to kind of mm -hmm. maybe explain a little bit of what we feel, because you're right. Mm -hmm. It's hard when you don't have a term for it. Right. Mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So now part of my other journey is now I'm retired. So 
part of the way I try to help other parents or whatever is I work part-time at a funeral home, believe it or not. Really? Yeah. And so what I try to do is when we have services for families who have lost children, I try to help them as far as referring them to our grief group that we have with the parent with hospice and, you know, sharing things with them. And one of the things we did recently with our grief group for hospice is we had a butterfly release in honor of our children and things like that. So that was really thing too. So yeah, that's beautiful. Just try to do things like that, that hopefully can bring some comfort to the um, other parents. And that's when I feel like when I'm helping other parents that, that I'm healing too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think back to when you started talking about the beginning of this journey and how you're in the hospital and all you were kind of thinking was now what, what do I do now? Mm -hmm. I don't know what to do now. So you are really helping that group, right? By working at the funeral home, because that is what all those parents are thinking. Mm -hmm. They, you know, you do have the dad or mom that's you that's calling Mm -hmm. this funeral home trying to now arrange a service for your daughter and you have no idea what you're doing. So to have someone a little bit walk alongside you from the really earliest days, Mm -hmm. uh, like you do, that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've heard of, and I I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly or whatever, but there's like a Japanese art called Kinsatori or something like that. Okay. What they do is... Like if you have a, a, like a regular clay bowl or something and it's shattered Mm -hmm. and they put it back together, but they put it back together with With gold gold. in between the, and I really feel like, you know, that's kind of what parents are. They, their life is shattered. They have all these pieces. The pieces probably aren't all going to go back together. (laughs) They're not going to ever be the same as they were before all this happened but you can still be something beautiful. Um, and you can put them back together with gold. For having to go, but we're the ones that have to make that decision if we're going to do that or not, you know? And unfortunately, some people don't make that decision and others do, but I think it's really comes down to a choice. Um, if you want to try to heal or if you just want to stay in that space. And I've talked to a lot of dads that feel like that if if they're not grieving, if they're not in sorrow, that they're going to lose somehow invalidate their love for their child or something like that. If they're not crying every day or if they're not, you know, mourning every day for the loss of that child. And and I'm like, I feel like it's the opposite. Mm -hmm. But, you know, everyone has their own grief journey. No one's is the same. The only thing that we can do is support each other and maybe take, well, this worked for this person. Let me try that. Oh, okay. That doesn't really work for me. I'm going to try something else or yeah, this does work for me. I'm going to, you know, continue to do it, but we all have to find our little things that work, you know, best for us, I think. Yeah. To re- to try to find a little bit of purpose. I know something very powerful that my grief therapist told to me pretty early on in my grief and said, Andy, you, 
your grief is not what holds you to Andy. Your love is what holds you to Andy. And I try to remind myself of that when I fall into that trap of feeling like I should be sad all the time. Mm -hmm. That's not what's holding me to him. And that's what people hopefully can learn is that Mm -hmm. that sorrow is not the holding thing. It's the love. Right. And that's what I say is that, is that grief is love with no place to go. And the more we're able to connect that love to our child, the more we're going to heal and the more we're going to feel better. And the, I just think that that's what it's all about. I mean, you can't really heal until you can find somewhere to connect that love to. And if you can connect it to your child and stay close to your child, because your child isn't there physically anymore, but the love you have for them doesn't die with them when they die, that continues on. And if you can find ways to connect that to your back to your child, and the way I do that is by trying to help other parents who are going through, you know, earlier on in their grief than I am, hopefully I can provide some, you know, support for them or whatever. And the more I'm able to do that, the more I'm able to connect with that love that I have with Caitlin and the closer that I feel to her. So, Well, thank you so much, Jim, for sharing Caitlin with us. And I just know that your words will help so many people. I just appreciate it. Okay. Thank you. For listening. If you found this helpful and would like to support the podcast, please leave a five-star rating and comment. To help financially, you can text Andy's Mom to the number 53555 or visit the donate page on andysmom.com. Your donations are secure and tax-deductible, and we are now able to accept Venmo, PayPal, and Apple Pay. Always Andy's Mom is a registered 501c3 organization and can receive donations through smile.amazon.com Thrive in Financial, and Benevity, amongst others. Marcy loves hearing from listeners. Please feel free to reach out to her via email at marcy at andysmom.com. Also, be sure to sign up for the email list to receive weekly updates as well as pictures of all of Marcy's guests and their children. Together, let's work to inspire hope one day at a time.